0: Welcome to Accessories, the show that draws a mustache on British Vogue and shines a light on the UK's true fashion insiders. My name is Minty from Leeds, artist, sculptor and milliner to the Queens and you have a special invitation to join me on a fashion goose chase through the world of nightlife, music, and contemporary art. In each show, I'll be joined by an alternative fashion expert from the world of textiles, comedy, politics, or perhaps even the shameful world of drag to spit roast the latest trends, predict fashion futures, and wish death on bags we just don't like the look of. With slices of fashion crit, Meme Reviews and Challenges Accessories. Accessories is a podcast that's half fashion essay, half bitch in the smoking area Yes indeed, I'll be joined by the next generation of cultural leaders to discuss the future of fashion and analyse the industry as it crawls from the abyss that was 2020 We'll talk design ethics or lack thereof expose fashion gatekeepers play Jacamus versus Giacomo and review Vogue using only animal noises I can't promise it'll be an immersive fashion experience But what it will be
1: is a podcast with an Instagram account.
0: A tiny bit about myself. I'm a fashion designer. I'm like a perennial student of fashion. I'm a sculptor and a drag queen. My pronouns are he, him out of drag. She her In drag though, because this is an audio platform, anything goes for me. I design under the name Barnaby Horn and do drag under the name Minnie from Leeds. So you're going to hear me refer to as all sorts in the next hour and a bit. And for me, that's totally fine. When I think of what accessories means to me, it's fashion artifacts, and the objects that we use to build ourselves. So you will realize pretty quickly that this isn't just a show about hats, gloves, and coats and bags. I feel so lucky to be able to introduce you to the four guests we have on this month's show. Each of them are so interesting and amazing in their own way, but every month at Accessories, we hope to create a guest lineup of people that have a special relationship with fashion, people from all sorts of creative backgrounds that are masters of their own practices and influence fashion from outside of the bubble because if 2020's taught us anything, it's that bubbles get boring fast. One thing that all four of our guests from today's show have in common is how their artistry has prevailed through a really troubling year for creative people. And first up to tell us about their transformative year, it's visual artist, who's not Irish in any way, (laughs) Adam Frost.
2: Hello, my name's Adam Frost. I'm not northern. I'm from <laughs> South East London slash Hastings. I'm a visual artist. I'm a fashion designer. I'm a performance artist. I'm a DJ. I'm a musician. i will do bits <laughs> and bobs and nipples with Barnaby.
0: Oh, lovely! Wow, that that is a real intro, and I think that our other guests are going to <laughs> have to really dig deep to uh, to meet that energy. So thank you for that. And also, you can tell that you've we've spent too much time talking before the interview because you've gone so northern, and I love it.
2: Yes. I always go northern, but you make me more northern. Where are you from?
0: Hastings.
2: I'm from Hastings. No, I'm originally from, I was born in Greenwich in southeast London, raised in a council estate, went to temples when I was eight. Then I moved to Hastings when I was 11 because I was bullied so much in my estate. And then I came back to London when I was 19, went to Middlesex. Then I went back to Hastings again. Then I came back for the Royal College of Art about 2019. And so I suppose I'm like London slash Hastings. I know Greenwich. That's like one of the only places in
0: London that I know.
2: Right, Adam Frost. Yes.
0: Creative maverick, uh, genre spanner. (laughs) Here's a question for you. I don't know. If we were to jump in a time machine and go all the way back to 2019, things are kind of a little bit more normal than they are now. How would you make
2: your work happen? um well 2019 I've got into the Royal College of Art I don't know I was kind of stuck in a seaside town I was like I need to just do what I want to do and at this point I had dressed hungry people are aware of what I'm doing and stuff but I just needed to push and elevate what I'm doing so applied for Royal College of Art got in by accident and then um kind of moved back um but 2019 it was I got an art residency at the Marlborough Theatre in Brighton um, where I developed a whole piece called send times 43 which is about me sending the message to one man 43 times <laughs> um. <laughs> is that how you accidentally got into the royal college of art yeah well but no yeah yeah you accidentally you
0: know, sent your application uh, 43 times
2: well when I got in it was my I was basically there and I was like do you know what if I this is what I said about in my interview to this amazing lady and I feel bad I can't remember her name <laughs> um, I, I basically said to this woman that this lady that let me on the course who's amazing I feel really bad I do know who her name is but I just haven't been there for a year so I've got her name anyway uh I, I I basically when I had my interview I was like if I don't get in I will still do what I am doing I've done five internships I've worked my ass off I did not go to um prestigious BA courses so it's harder for me so you know if I get in I get in. if I don't I don't and then I got in but um Yeah, I just basically said, if you don't let me in, you know, I'm doing what I do anyway, so. Yeah, that's cool. Wait, so now if I ask you the same question, but applied to 2021, how do you make your work happen now? Oh, so 2021 is a different vibe. So 2019, getting to the Royal College of Art. Uh, By the end of 2019, I had Love Magazine interview me uh, while I was at Royal College. I did a show called Hot Property, which was on BBC iPlayer. And then all of a sudden, uh, lockdown happens. But then um, it gets to March 2020. And then um, the day I get fired from Dr. Martin's for my lateness 10 times... (laughs) 10 times how did they keep me on i don't know 10 times 41 times yeah a it's bit like of a- now it's like 10 times i'm late like but the team loved me there and um 2020 that i'm leading up 2020. <laughs> basically i'm late 10 times it's dr martin's so i'm overworked i've been suspended unsuspended from royal college of art i've by then i've dressed shape i've done this i've done that um i've had my love magazine interview and then it's the month before the BBC iP- iPlayer show comes out called Hot Property with Young Philly. And basically they're like, look- Can I just say, when I saw on your
0: Instagram story that you were um, doing Hot Property, I didn't realize that was
2: the name of like a show. I thought you were just declaring that you were Hot Property. I was like, Hello, oh, good for no. you. I know I'm a fashion person, but I'm also a visual artist and I'm not that kind of wanker. I, I think I come across as a very dramatic, divry person, but I'm actually like like grounded as fuck. I know exactly where I stand. I've worked my ass off, and basically, I did this show, and actually, you know, I didn't get a massive stardom from it. I just did it to be like, oh, what? Well, maybe I'll go into TV or something. But by 2020, basically, I got fired from Dr. Martens, and the same day, I got fired from Dr. Martens and A bit simply <laughs> I had Taser's look in my bag when I was in the uh, when I was in the fi- getting fired process. So I turn up. I was 20 minutes late the day I got fired. And then the guy's like, Adam, well, can I speak to you in the office? And I didn't think about it. I went to the office and said, like, Adam, I'm really sorry, mate. I love you, but I've been told to fire you. And I'm like, oh shit, okay. And then I left and I had tastes look in my bag. And then I went and met Taste. Wow. <laughs> and then a year later, back to your question, 2021, um taste is going on drag race a year late like under a year later and like dragged And me let's on. just all say what an amazing entrance look like that is so such much.
0: a striking look it's fantastic Thank you so much that and is it's so it's so signature as well to have something so signature worn in such a like a dramatic way thank you like to have kind of had this interview and this moment on tv and all these pieces start to come together and then have this year kind of just throw like a massive spanner in the works what would you say has got you kind of to this point where you're still creating, still thriving? Because speaking to you now, you're doing fittings, you are working, you were coming out of the lockdown, you've kind of made
2: it through. Basically, I do think it's very odd that things are kicking off for me in the most bleakest time humans have ever existed in their lives. This is worse than the Spanish influenza. This is like a whole nother fucking level. This could go on for 10 years. You don't know. There's another case in South Africa, you know, where you apparently, anyway, I'm not going to go into that cause it's depressing, but you, know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, this is like human civilization has never experienced anything like this since influenza or the plague, really. Yeah. So, um, but um, I, I, I find it very surreal. I, I do think in a way, lockdown has helped some artists in a way because people like Love Magazine before Katie Grand left. They did um, Love Diaries, and like they were getting all these artists together. Like I'm in that, I'm in that imprint. I'm pretty sure if lockdown did not happen, I would not be in print in Love magazine by Tim Walker. I do feel like there's been an element of chaos thrown
0: into the mix because of lockdown, and yeah. it's either manifests itself as opportunities or roadblocks for people. And I kind of really agree with what you've what you've just said about these opportunities coming from strange places and lockdown actually being kind of a blessing in disguise. Someone like yourself, you do all sorts of multidisciplinary work. You make music. You've had time to kind of allow yourself to be the artist, be like an inside person working on all these different pieces. And I feel like on my on a personal note, I've had lots of like, trauma at the start of lockdown like losing my job losing all of my uh, commissions and things like that yeah. and then being forced into kind of making a plan b and
2: then that really working the way I started off was like so got to, it was about March I'd handed in stuff to the Royal College of Art it was lockdown gets to April all of a sudden I'm hanging out with all my neighbours we're all going crazy I'm sorry people get offended that I'm saying that but look if you're in a warehouse community people are very communal and we just keep to ourselves we don't go out of that so it so it went from that what i just said to then kind of going into like all of a sudden we're all doing a photo shoot together for love magazine about the creative convent during amiga works is lockdown or whatever then it kind of then all of a sudden i'm like right i'm parting too much with my neighbors at a bad time i need to be very serious and realize that this is a load of scary shit i don't care what people are going to say i'm just being honest um um so so it went from that to that and then I was freaking out and then I was like right I need to be sober and I can't be involved with that that's terrible people have breakdowns anyway um and it went from that to me being like completely sober for two weeks and actually doing a um, a marketplace called it's called at adam frost market um on um instagram and just like within a week I made 200 pounds just on monoprints and then it went from that to actually um, getting really ill and getting like a... Basically, my, I think I had COVID in January. What, you actually
0: had COVID?
2: I think I had COVID in January 2020.
0: Do you know what? I, it's so few people, I know so few people that have actually like full on had COVID. Everyone's had like something that was COVID-ish.
2: No, I think I had COVID in January 2020. And then, and then I kind of carried on like... I think this has been in England for a while because it was in Yowen in China. It I was think in it's w- Wuhan. It was in China. Um, Woking. Woking. Uh, it was in Woking. It, it was in Woking, down <laughs> south. Yeah, so it, it's, basically, it's been around for ages, but no one's got. This is so out of our hands that it makes so much sense that people can't keep up with it. Basically, I was like utilizing that time, but then I was so sober that it actually made me so ill because my body was like relapsing from all the stress of life. Yeah, and all my friends around me got so ill, and I like breakdowns, and their bodies gave up on them. Like one of my friends had a heart bypass surgery. One of my friends had her knee gave up. I couldn't walk for three months because of an old injury from being in drag. Uh, and my other friend broke her arm and had three. Wait, you've got to elaborate on that. On my on my leg. How did you how did you break your bones in drag? So Chromatica came out. Oh yeah, I, I recall. Chromatica came out. I was like, do you know what? I want to be one of those sexy, hunky, gay boys that goes, that's like, well, I'm queer. I will not say I'm a gay boy. I want to be one of those sexy, hunky, queer guys that's like, oh my God, look at me. I'm so hunky and sexy. Oh. Well, so why not? It was a cultural reset. I mean, why not? Let's go for it. And I was just like, I'm going to be healthy. I'm not drinking. I, I'm not a heavy smoker anyway, but I was like, I'm not going to smoke. So I did all that shit. And then I went um, to Finsbury Park because I'm in Northwest London. Went to Finsley Park. Went running. I went around the whole. I went around the whole fucking <laughs> park at seven am. Bearing in mind, that I just got over tonsillitis. I was pushing my body and pushing it and pushing it, and then that happened. And then after that, I just couldn't walk for three months. I didn't drink for three months. <laughs> I was on cocodamol. I was off my face. I was on naproxen. I was not okay. At that school. was. This is starting to turn into a Katie Price kind of being held at gunpoint. The gun was shot the dead.
0: Then I catch him doing coke and fucking someone else. Done him. Need a version of that where I was on cocodamol and was running around Finsbury Park. I broke my leg from an old drag injury.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, the side, yeah. but i learned a lot from it and like my new collections inspired and my visuals and my music is all inspired by this shit and i think the best inspiration comes from anyone's biographical life yeah um but yeah i mean even if you don't address it it accidentally creeps through into your work so as
0: soon as you start to uh like hold your identity as like part of your practice then that's when the magic starts to happen definitely I was going to ask you you proudly identify as a working class artist a queer artist uh how does being in touch with this identity influence the way you experience
2: mainstream fashion so I would say you know if if you're interning I've done five internships as soon as you're at that studio you're like oh there's a whole team everyone here is getting paid um you know, everyone here is getting paid and all that shit. You know, and it's it's like it's another world. Fashion is another world. If you go to a, a a Dazed or a Wonderland party, some fucking expensive as fuck brand that has tons of money that they don't even look at is sponsoring the party. I've been to. I went to. I'm going to the Wonderland party on um, Jody Harsh's list in like 2018. The MTV Wonderland party. And there were chandeliers. Everyone there did not give a fuck about how beautiful the building was. The, the, the hotel was stunning. and um, But getting back to your question, I always go off like this, but like <laughs> my first day at the Royal College of Art, like walking in that building post interview, I got turned down to even get given a card because I didn't have £3,000 instantly on me which is disgusting considering I'd spend £500 on a deposit holding fee for the best art school in the world. Considering it's the best art school in the world, they should be a bit more considerate about when you turn up. Mm-hmm. If you spent 500 quid, I have just spent 500 quid on the same thing. You did exactly the same. Exactly, Barney. See, this could be you in a few months. You don't even know. These schools are very elitist and it's not a bad thing. I'm very, very grateful I'm in the Royal College of Art and it's amazing for you and CSM. And, um, but these schools are very elitist and they forget about other art schools. I went to Middlesex. I didn't get into St. Martin's for my BA and I found it extremely fucking difficult to get to where I am now because I didn't start at CSM, but I've done fine without CSM. I'm at Royal College now, but other people don't get the same, um, the press show does not get the same. The Middlesex press show gets the same people going, but the but the, uh, our CSM because of McQueen and Galliano and Stella McCartney and a lot of names I could go on, and on which is fantastic, obviously. I always dreamed of going there. I'm not gonna lie, but it's but like now you
0: can do that from Royal College graduates, can't you? But
2: yeah, but but the but the thing is, it's like I still relate to that because it's weird because now I am part of the Royal College establishment, but it's also yes. weird because I'm also found it hard to get into an establishment because I went to an art school that to me gets less pu- pu- press things. So, um, um, but but long story short, basically, my first day at Royal College, they basically. I was pushed and shoved by all these people that were there to work, but they didn't really care that I didn't have free, because I didn't have free ground, they didn't really care. And then I started crying, and then this one lady was like, look, here's a payment plan, we are here to help. And they are there to help, I'm not dissing Royal College, but if you turn up there and you've got no money, and you're not even allowed a card, even though you've already spent £500, you should be able to access that building on the first day. But in the real world, of and realisticness, you need mm-hmm. to be able to have, like, you know, you have to... It's the whole problem of the gatekeeping like, that that just pervades every part of
0: fashion and arts education and the industry. Like, doing unpaid internships, first of all, excludes working-class people. And the colleges that want to take working-class students in then not being able to find any funding or recommend any fail-safe avenues... No, I for funding it's just it's like they want this they want to say that they're doing it but then when it comes to practicing it they'd rather stick with the international millionaire children
2: Uh, in basically the way of doing it i would say is that um the way i've done it and the way you can do it if you're working class and i feel like you'll you resonate with what i'm gonna say but i definitely think it's like right i'm doing my ba Be sensible. Don't fuck up your BA. I fucked up mine. I've done five internships, but I fucked up while I was interning. I was not okay. I've only just got my shit set together and I'm 27 years old for fuck's sake. Um, You know, it's like when you're in second year, you're getting student finance for a reason so you can do your internships, pay your rent and get on with it and live on like 200 quid a month or whatever afterwards. So do that and do that and don't fuck it up like I did because I had to borrow money from my nan. And like yeah. I'm not from I'm not from a middle class background but my nan, you know, she's an old lady, she had savings. Yeah. You know, I had to like call up my nan crying in the snow outside my studio being like, "Nan, I've got no money because I fucked it up." It's so crazy. I've done the, exactly the it. same thing. It it's when you have that you're meant
0: to know when you're 18 what to do to like set yourself up for this career but if you don't have any money in your family and you make a mistake of your education, then you are just fucked. You are just, there's a line written through it. And then you've got to either pull yourself back up with unpaid internships. You've got to fund yourself to like retrain at your own expense. It's just impossible. And it's so strange that us, both of us have had similar experiences. My degree, my first degree was in English lit and I wanted to be a fashion designer. I just didn't think... I could do. It. I just didn't think it was possible.
2: No, but everyone thinks that because they want you to think that. They want you to think that you've got to have loads of money. I am working class. I have no money. I've done ten GoFundMe's. I've done five internships. Royal College of Art eventually did give me money when when I got suspended. The guy thought it was like, do you know what? You're you're screwed. You can't come back here. I proved everyone at the Royal College of Art wrong, and I ended up coming back. And then they were like, oh Adam, I'm not gonna lie i thought you'd be gone by now if you want to do this you need to want to want to do this and i want mm-hmm. to do this because i'm a visual I, like i i breathe visions every day i get visions every day and like it's what i live and it's what i breathe and i love what i do and i do it for emotion i do it because i didn't have nice clothes when i was younger i like my mom's gonna hate it that i said that i think people that do fashion normally are craving like i don't know it's like you're regenerating mm-hmm. yourself you want to create i a, think it's it's the wanting to shed the inability
0: of being able to create, there is that feeling there, and I relate to it as well. I couldn't put the pieces together. I thought, no, um, this is not going to happen for me. It's not really for me. So um, it's taken me till s- similar age to you to um, get those pieces to uh, fit together. I want to talk
2: to you a little bit about your music and your performance oh. work. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh,
4: I love me. Oh,
2: I I love you know i as i've got older i've realized everything what i do is actually all for an emotion and a feeling and i've also started to realize i make clothes so i can perform in them and Mm -hmm. then performance then i want to do music in them and i've always been like oh this is cringe i used to sing in the shower when i was like 10 and my dad would be like shut the fuck up but you know i (laughs) do it and i'm just like you know sorry that's in your ears but you know i'm just like you know what like he doesn't tell me to shut the fuck up anymore when I sing now, which is very weird. And also a very good sign. Yes, yeah, because you're on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm on Spotify. Um, my first single, Seagull Cigarettes and Champagne, is on there now. Um I don't know. Which my- I love, by the way. I've just thank listened to very, it all day. Thank you very much. I've spent a good like a good few months developing that. Right, now this is the bit that I've been looking forward to the whole interview. Yay! <laughs> right, so
0: b- both Adam and I have copies of um, very popular fashion magazines <laughs> available to purchase from any good news agent. We have different ones, but um, it doesn't matter too much.
2: I'm not judging you by your cover. Yeah,
0: we're own. judging each other by uh, the <laughs> magazines that, that we one. buy. Um, yours begins with I and mine begins with V. But <laughs> We're going to have a quick flick through and we're going to describe what's happening in fashion To the tune of (laughs) Seagulls, Cigarettes and Champagne. Oh,
2: yay, my trap, Yay.
0: Take the listeners on an audio journey through what's happening in fashion right now, according to the magazine you're holding, to the audio landscape of Adam Frost. Um...
2: Boil flowers, glittery sequins, nude illusion, Freckles on the ear. Freckles on the ear?
0: Ear freckles um, are really big.
2: Um, um, nude shape,
0: nude, um, nude organs. NHS, it's really big yes. at the minute.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nude, um, lungs. Are we going through the whole magazine, days <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, denim, a lot of double denim.
0: Double denim's in.
2: Yeah, well, everyone's obsessed with that. And like, um, kind of like street art with fashion. Pockets. Oh, oh, sheepskin. A bit of sheepskin, you know. A bit of sequins. Oh, black
0: uh, <laughs> and white photos we've probably seen before.
2: Fake eighties. A lot of fake eighties. Some reason. Cubic zirconias. People look like they've not eaten, and they're really depressed. That's the right now.
0: Prada asking questions.
2: <laughs> a lot of like Valentino, uh, B- uh, tits pushed off in a push-up bra. Vivian Westwood shot by her husband Andrea. I don't know if they're married or not though. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of, of colours. Colours, yeah, colours that you thought would have died by now. And Kim Jones, like half and half. Uh, bomber jacket <laughs> so that kind of
0: herring chic in comfies
2: yeah it's very heroin chic but comfy
0: yeah herring also- chic but comfy
2: and like fruit inspired colours and also um, uh, rest in peace to Judy Blame an iconic accessories
0: rest in peace um, but yeah kitten heels that was the big surprise for me kitten heels kitten heels are everywhere
2: why they're just I
0: hate him. Right, well, it's been a total pleasure to have oh you well on nice. the show. It's been so much fun, and I feel like we've had some really unique insights and what it's like to be an emerging designer that has survived through this really oh, crazy... Emerging eyes. I'm so sorry. Multidisciplinary I'm sorry I'm wanky, eyes. But I'm
2: an artist. I'm a visual <laughs> artist. Visual artist Adam Frost. Thank I'm you sorry so much. i wanky. I know it sounds wanky, but I find it so weird if someone calls me an emerging designer. But I know I am an emerging designer. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like an emerge. It's just weird. I know. But I do make clothes, so, yeah. Emerging <laughs> <laughs> designer, among other
0: things. a visual artist. A visual artist and musician. And I just, I, you know, I just love lo-fi. I've
2: actually genuinely had your music on all day. Well, that one song on repeat. Aw. <laughs> uh, well, I do have more coming out soon. I have an EP coming out in May with my visuals for my collection. And there'll be visuals for the album or the EP. I don't know if it's an album or an EP yet, yeah, but there'll be at least three songs with interludes. Nice. Right, well, thank you so
0: much for joining me. It's been a total pleasure. It's been simply, simply lovely.
3: Simply lovely, come on, lads.
0: Wow, it was a riot having a talk with Adam and really important, I thought, for him to talk about the issues he's faced in his career and education and how, despite it, he has continued to rise. Not as a designer, you must understand, but as a visual artist. And not just that, someone with such an unwavering sense of self and love for fashion. In keeping with the slight drag race theme, of course, Adam Design Tastes' fabulous entrance look, we're about to be joined by someone whose looks caused probably the strongest reaction from Rue ever. Talking queer fashion, digital drag, and what's in the other house this season, is cabaret reprobate and all-round legend,
3: Joe Black.
0: Hello. Hi, Joe. Hello.
3: hello. Hello. How are we? I'm all right.
0: How are you? I'm not too bad. I tried to learn the German word for accessories, and it's like "accessor." I can't. I, I,
3: I don't even know it. Um, my my German is limited to a couple of uh, you know, can I have a coffee, type phrases, and uh, one whole Marlene Dietrich song. Uh, so uh, it's all about the accent, anyway. Yeah. So if if you know, if ever I to have a conversation about someone called Johnny's birthday then I can I can do that quite freely, um, you know, only in the form of song.
0: Wonderful. So (laughs) the first theme of Accessories Podcast is about artists prevailing through what has been a really challenging year and no one has had quite a whirlwind like yourself. How did you feel that 2020 changed the way that you make art?
3: Well, I mean, it was that was quite a year because that was the year not only did I film Drive Race twice, Um, but also uh, the way, the way art was done, you know, everything became digital. Um, and it was, I think, I think I maybe had about a week or two of trying to work out what, what, what do I do now? You know, I can't go to a venue. There are no venues open. Mm -hmm. My house is the venue. So it was that kind of coming to not even coming to terms with, it was just kind of uh, figuring out the landscape, of, of, of how do I transform what I do into a digital format and, and how best to do that.
0: I was going to say, how does someone that works with such historical references and lives in, like, an expressionist film translate all that to suddenly operating in a digital kind of
3: environment? Well, actually, what I've learned, it, it, it actually kind of works really well. If, for, for for me in particular, who who has a very particular aesthetic... Now I can because I can control every element of it it's you know if I'm in four different venues each venue is gonna look different but for videos and things now and, and and live streams and whatnot I everything can have a fairly uniform or in brand look so I've really enjoyed actually being able to express my vibe better over video because some of the early videos I was making in lockdown is just like a plain like wardrobe like built-in wardrobe back behind me i didn't think about uh, backdrops yeah. and stuff because previously on videos it's like oh i'm just there it doesn't matter what's behind me i'm doing a song the end but then it yeah. was like if the whole experience had to go online then i had to bring a whole experience so it went from a couple of sad sequin curtains in front of the built-in wardrobe to a full backdrop to full backdrop smoke machine and i managed to get a 1930s style microphone you know, actual, actual functional studio microphone, but it just so happens to be in a uh, the 30s ring style. And I could bring in all of these elements that made a full composition, um, even down to, you know, the kind of filters that I put on videos. Yeah, you know, I always make sure I blur the edges so it looks like a kind of Vaseline uh, yeah. smudged camera. And then I add like film grains, tiny amounts of film grains so the footage looks a bit battered.
0: It's and funny because it, the first thing you think about as a Joe Black kind of video now is that smoke machine the microphone it's become like an extension of the way that you dress kind of creating fashion artifact around you which i think is really nice
3: yeah i mean it's the full and then now when if i ever you have to use a different microphone i get really upset seeing footage of it because everything's so clean Mm -hmm. and uniform and the other ones i'm like oh why do i have to use the sm58 i don't (laughs) want to use the sm58 i want to use my ring one
0: i was going to say talking about different settings drag race itself is such a modern setting i noticed that when you came in it almost seemed to transform the space <laughs> with your references to queer history and it was all it was something that i'd never seen on drag race before like this character coming in and it's suddenly changing the mood and atmosphere um how important is it for you to alter the space with this queer
3: history that you kind of bring in with you i mean it's it's strange because obviously i'm seeing it from my eyes not other people's but then i i yeah. do look when i walk in it kind of looks like someone's been <laughs> been like plonked from a different period just into the the totally. into the space And I hadn't really, really thought of it, but I mean, the music plays a a big part in that. You know, they did very well to find um, very... (laughs) music. I I said to them, I was like, you're going to put scary organ music underneath me, aren't you? And they said, yeah, probably. But then when I watched (laughs) it, you know, I got to... They they said that they searched long and hard for the uh, wackiest cabaret music they could find.
0: (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was the perfect choice for you. Well, we're talking about Drag Race what was your fashion highlight of drag race like do you have a moment that you just think was this is the fashion moment that i want people to remember as Joe black
3: oh for me, for me personally i was really pleased with every uh, every one of the runway looks i did because i think they were all very they were all very me uh in, in various different ways. You know, the, the the David Bowie was very much my take on it. I wanted to make it grotesque. I wanted to make it cartoonish. The Pavilion, it was, you know, I love a period costume. Um, so to, to, to wear a big old gown and a crown and um, big old silly um, gravity defying hair. And then the <laughs> on the opposite end of that, my, my seaside um, look, which was just pure ridiculous. Oh it was amazing it was ridiculous camp.
0: But, but amazing yeah you know Fantastic. Uh, it, that was my highlight of the series actually seeing you coming out and doing that i thought it was uh, fabulous <laughs> head to toe
3: a lot of people said with that one they said we think this is the best look that's ever been in drag race Like, thank you
0: well i felt that i really <laughs> did i just gasped almost everything around me went quiet that was you transforming my environment of my front room i was like this is a moment to the, to that the seaside I'll Yes, it was almost like, this is the Brighton drag. This is so, this is Joe Black. I loved it so That
3: was one of my favorite looks that I'd brought for the show. And I was so thrilled that that was the runway theme uh, uh, that week, that, that look, it was, uh, it was the moment when I was like, I was painting the bird, the bird shit on my face uh, and, I, and Tia was getting ready. And I said, Tia, do I, how, how's the bird shit looking? <laughs> like entirely seriously, and she looked at me and she looked shit, love. And she said, "Firstly, what a question. Secondly, I think you need more brown in it."
0: But... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, if I've asked you fashion highlights, I've got to ask you any regrets.
3: Uh, me, no, not one.
0: Not one, or oh, not two letters.
3: No. no, no. I think if 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 a simple pink dress can make someone that angry, I'd do it again in a heartbeat
0: because i just think it's so ironic that someone that wears clothes that don't even seem to be from this time period or from this plane of reality they could get criticized suddenly for wearing something that you can get from their high street it's just so ironic that that talk had to happen to you because
3: it's so not you well i mean the whole challenge wasn't very me in general i don't you know not, not once has anyone ever looked at me and i reckon it'd be great in a pop group like What was yeah. like, you know, what was, you know, these are the, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, give, I'll give Rupert Paul some options. So I can either wear that pink dress or I can wear a fish fishtail gown. Which one is more the challenge?
0: Mm-hmm. You get, you that. get, you
3: get two choices or I can dress as a Gustav Klimt painting.
0: Which would have been fabulous. It
3: would have been, but it wouldn't have been. But it would have challenge. shown the other
0: girls up. It would have shown the other girls up though.
3: I mean, I would have maybe stuck out a little bit. <laughs>
0: So this podcast isn't really all about accessories. But the first time we met, we did get down and dirty talking about accessories, specifically millinery. hmm And I know that you can block hats and make your own bits and pieces. How much of what you wear now is handmade by Joe Black?
3: I mean, I I'm not as involved now purely for time reasons, but for drag race, I like I made a lot of Pro- so I made all the props for the seaside look. Um, so I did the ice cream and the, the cone, and I did all of the, the small props that are seen in the hair. Um, the crown for the pavilion look was the base. The base shape was made for me. Um, and then I did all of the all of the decorating and the, the embellishments and things. Because you're so limited on time. So it was like I had to just get everything done uh, to a degree and then take it over um but you know i i haven't i haven't made a hat in a while i'm looking i'm looking around me right now and i can see a couple uh that i made um i love that you
0: made i love that you made elements of it though because it's so well i say it's so easy i've never been in that position but thinking oh i'm gonna be on tv i need to make all the phone calls i can i need to spend all this money and i need to whip all this stuff up from but then to actually say no I'm an artist. I've always built myself, and I'm going to take elements that I've made. I think that's really important as well. That
3: was a lot of a lot of a lot of the costume uh, that I had. Some of it was because um, again, it's a it's a money thing. I, like I'm not going to bankrupt myself to go on a television show, which is why you know there wasn't a completely custom pop look. Because why why would I put myself and my financial situation into jeopardy for the sake of a challenge that wouldn't typically be judged how you look anyway um so you know there were some of my looks like my my horror one for the monster mashup you know my i had a witch's hat that's like a very it was a very i based it on um vintage kind of halloween postcards so you get the pinup girls in kind of yeah, oddly proportioned witches hats so i wanted it to kind of look like it was just kind of perching on top of not down my head but perching on top of my head and that was made from um, a cereal box
0: that's the runway i really really wish you were there for but of course we got to see it over instagram and it was just so beautiful put together. Yeah, yeah we
3: got to that was one of the nice things was being able to put all of these looks in ideal settings for them as well you know not just having them on a runway <clears throat> we got to make full you know with the with the nosferatu and witch monster mash up you know we went to um devil's Dyke in brighton which is you know um just fields of wheat um uh, <laughs> basically um you know i ran through the fields of wheat because we just loved that kind of we wanted to do that kind of tim walker esque yeah. image with it so it was the very the the darkness of me and then all of like the light faded colors of the fields and the sky and and just have this black and white monster in the middle of it and we got to scare some doggers at the same time so that was it's it's
0: a shame you didn't run into Theresa May and you could have scared the shit out of her no we were we we, we,
3: we scared doggers instead
0: oh nice we've only got a little bit of time left but do you want to join me in our very first game of (laughs) Okay. <laughs> A tentative okay. Right then. So our first ever contestant is Joe Black. <gasps> All I need you to do now is give us your verdict on some of these predicted trends. We just want an in or an out. Our first our first item. Pearl necklaces. In or out? In. Pastel coloured bucket hats.
3: Out. I hate bucket <laughs> hats with a fiery passion i think oh god no i hate them i hate them
0: why do you hate them so much
3: i think they're the most unflattering um it feels like people are mm, trying to give a nice way i, I
0: personally love a bucket i I,
3: I think I, there is nothing that makes me think someone can't be trusted to just dress themselves <laughs> more than a bucket hat what you're
0: wearing right now is about two inches off a bucket hat
3: um it's a very very different shape
0: <laughs> okay i'm gonna move on elizabeth hurley in other house
3: um, after she spoke to me nothing else <laughs>
0: <laughs> very curvy eyebrows
3: oh but when you say curvy what are you imagining i'm thinking like in my head i'm like german expressionist full on wobbles here
0: well not far off that yeah
3: Oh, that can go in, that can go in.
0: Okay. Multiple bum bags strapped all over the body. Um owls.
3: <whistles>
0: Glen clothes. In. Sweatpants and hoodies.
3: Do you know what I think that is perfectly acceptable, um, if that's what you would like to wear. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna gatekeep anything unless it's a bucket hat. Okay. Bing bang bong. Owls.
1: <whistles>
3: <laughs> Cardigans. Oh, in. They're always very nice, I think they look very charming and you
0: knew it was coming
3: H&M in fabulous so we've heard it
0: from the horse's mouth what is in this season is pearl necklaces very curvy eyebrows Glen clothes sweatpants and hoodies cardigans and I can't believe it H&M
3: well I mean they keep, they keep so sending me much. such lovely gifts
0: so I have to <laughs> well exactly that's amazing if you are sending you bits and pieces you've got to promote them thank you Joe for joining us and giving us a little taste of what we should expect in fashion a little (laughs) forecast there for us. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Thanks for chatting to me. Speak to you very soon, I hope. All right. Bye. Bye. The darling of Brighton, Joe Black. It's showtime! It was so hard not to do that at the start of the interview, but I somehow managed. I love how Joe, despite being a cabaret performer so used to having that connection on stage, was able to see the potential in creating a performative environment at home and capturing it on camera. Joe's relationship with fashion and costume is so Deeply thought through and researched, that as soon as you clap eyes on Joe, you're transported to a different time frame and environment. Except of course when he shops at H&M. Our next guest, Shrek 666, is an expert in creating mood and a universe for a character to live in. We're talking about an artist who constantly challenges what performance art is, blurs the lines between costume and fashion, and brings to life some of the most visceral imagery you could possibly imagine. Discussing how he survived lockdown as an artist completely in their own lane, and how selecting clothes plays its part in creating an entire performative universe. It's Shrek 666.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, I am Shrek 666. I make performances, uh, make prosthetics, costumes, music and DJ sometimes, Um, yeah, a a bunch of different things.
0: I'm so glad to have you on the show, when I started putting this episode together I knew that I wanted you on the first show just because I admire your work so much and the potential for crossover into fashion is just so there. When I met you, you were wearing this giant foam yellow hat. (laughs) And as a as a milliner, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm obsessed with this person." <laughs> do,
1: yeah. do you make
0: much of the clothes that you wear?
1: Yeah, I make um, I make a lot of the things that I wear. I started making them myself because I couldn't I couldn't find what I wanted um to out there to buy. Whether it just like wasn't um it didn't fit my body or um I couldn't access it with the funds that I had or um or it just wasn't yeah, it just wasn't actually out there to buy. So yeah, I started making um making my own like garments for performance um maybe like like four years ago or something like learn how to sew and um yeah make crazy shit like that hat Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna have to tell me how you made that because it really made an impression on me i was like wow
1: (laughs) it was literally made out of like one giant piece of foam that was yeah like got hot glued together and painted and uh came all the way on on a mega bus from Glasgow. I'm
0: going to have to post a picture of it on the Instagram for this podcast so everyone can see what it looks like. Right, um, I've got some questions for you. I want to know, obviously we've all been affected by the last year. If we went back in time to 2019, how did you make your magic happen before this shit went
1: down? Yeah, I mean, like, when I look back at 2019, like that is a that's a question i asked myself like i was working so much like i was all the time i was so busy um constantly creating like new performances like two or three a month like being full Shrek, being this three times a week, um, and making everything that that went into it, um, like I was having such a great time and able to travel and go on tour and meet people and perform and perform at like inc- at incredible like queer parties, so like not only understood what I was doing but they fully embraced it, um, and it was a really great year that brought a lot of um opportunity and but came with that like a lot of work, um, any money that I made went straight back into the work, um, and I just found ways of like making what i wanted to make happen um sometimes it was like detrimental to my sleep definitely my bank account um (laughs) but (laughs) i was having i was having a lot of fun um, yeah you know and uh, yeah when when clubs and events start back up again like i definitely will be taking Um, a different approach haven't had time to like reflect on like the chaos of what was actually happening Um, and haven't haven't had time to take time for myself
0: it's so hard to assess the value of what you do when something like this comes along and really challenges the role that we play in society and the kind of Unique economics we've built for our own practice just get eroded and we're just so shaken. How have you adapted to work throughout 2020 and into 2021?
1: I mean, it it brought me back to making film, which was uh, something that I had worked with like previously in art school, and was something that I really enjoyed doing. So, making um, making film was a great way to like kind of change change the practice. But like a lot, it brought it raised a lot of questions of like you know when I'm on stage, I'm presenting something that. people find uncomfortable sometimes it's maybe not so easy to watch and well, you know when covid first happened i'm like oh do i really want to be this horrible <laughs> do, I <laughs> do, do i want to force this onto people um and yeah it made me question um certain approaches and the uh, some achievements that I, I want to has
0: it changed the intellectual content of what you make like have you kind of thought about the changed mindset of the audience and has that influenced the way you've wanted to make work um,
1: that's a good question. Um, um, I think it definitely has because I was just in such a cycle of of making and and making for a stage that um it was just kind of like what i done and um yeah, entertainment industry in the UK is obviously undervalued so much and with a lot of entertainers out of work. It, yeah, you you have to like think, think your approach to to making and to and to how it's perceived by by people. So yeah,
0: have you enjoyed doing any online shows?
1: Yeah, so in um, the club night that I'm a part of in Glasgow called Shoot Your Shot, um, we started doing streams at the beginning of at the beginning of lockdown and there was streams like almost every month we were doing them and it, it gave me a couple of the to to keep making work every month and to be producing but it was also like a really good way um, to bring like the community in Glasgow together and was also a few other great streams that happened um like some in london some in some in shanghai like um some in america like yeah streams have been good some aren't always so good but (laughs) yeah
0: there's a strange reputation with online shows it was so novel and amazing at the start and then there's some people kind of say oh another online show but the ones that consistently push what it is to be a live show have really challenged what performance art can be in the uk so i think there's some good that's come out of lockdown
1: yeah absolutely and it also gives a space to to people who have had their spaces taken away so yeah
0: also how accessible i mean to be an online show it just it counteracts all sorts of issues with performing in the nightclubs and venues that may not be accessible for everyone that wants to be part of this art form so i think that's
1: good absolutely absolutely even within like time frame and um Mm. you know like whenever i i I make a video for stream, um i'll always try and put like subtitles and things like that just to make it more accessible
0: i wanted to ask you about how fashion people react to you when you appear like do you get anyone that's uh, that just gushes obviously i've already gushed about your fashion Uh, but is that a normal reaction um
1: it really, it really, really depends. I think like some, like I've done a shoot once with a fashion photographer who um, is a beauty fashion photographer and he just was really, he just really didn't get it. He really, he really was just a bit like, oh, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? And um, I think for, for people who are so used to that, to like a standardized approach to beauty, having something that is so, a rejection of that is um is, is maybe not their thing, you know. And but also there's there's other times where, you know, people who, who who might work in fashion will approach me and offer opportunities for shoots and things, but they're often not paid, they're paid in exposure and it's just it's just got to a point where I actually can't afford to make a a look for an editorial without any budget. Um and there's because there's so much work that goes into presenting the full the full situation of of Shrek and a lot, a lot of people just like they see the visual and they want the visual they don't understand where it comes from or respect where it comes from and it's just they want the visual as something that grabs people's attention and it's, it's so strange it's it's so it's, it's queer it's it's outside okay. of their norm yeah. and yeah but then other people just people like really embrace it and the it and you know it, all of that's fine like
0: <laughs> it must be one of the hardest jobs in the world i mean it's so hard to be an artist but to be someone that's kind of treading into new territory and the going into a creative world full of vultures and barriers like what are the anxieties that you face going into a new project
1: i would approach a new project with clear communication throughout contracts on both sides if it's an industry job and, um, yeah, just like open communication of what I also need and what the other person needs I'm, I'm part of a union now, a freelancer's union called You who are really great and it uh, provides support so, yeah, working as a freelancer without any form of agency or management can be difficult because people want to take advantage they want to grab you while you are on your own and so yeah having that support is is good
0: yeah it's so valuable to be part of something like that because it's so easy to have your magic kind of taken away by the people whose job it is is to mine it yeah it could be so disheartening
1: totally
0: On reflection, what have been some of the highlights and lowlights over your recent career, taking everything into account? The fact that you had 2019, you were all over the UK. I got to see you in Leeds, which was just a fantastic experience. And then going into lockdown and finding new ways to work when lockdown could have happened i was like
1: oh a break <laughs> And I, <laughs> I was like quite happy to get a, a break for a while um, and then i started itching. um and like one thing that i was really looking forward to was this performance that we had planned in sub club on um, easter sunday which was my birthday i was i was going to be crucified in the club and <laughs> i had, I had created like a beautiful set with my friend who's an architect and had dancers involved working collaboratively on it it was going to be it was going to be great and i was really looking forward to it um but i mean like yeah shoot your shot aren't going to work with subclub anymore um right. even after there was years of meetings to try and make the the club a more accessible space uh, when they posted their safe the Subclub like fundraiser yeah they realized that the club owned by millionaires are doing a public fundraiser to save this space that really has only been used for a straight audience, mainly has straight male DJs. It's just kind of like yeah, um, Bonzi Bono, who, who don't shoot Your just made the decision to to not work with them, which isn't a bad thing, you know. It's like okay, let's move on from that. Um, And I guess a a highlight would be The Danny Elfman video that we made in Berlin Because it's definitely the highest outreach My work has seen Um, And Danny is great Although I didn't work with him directly And the project wasn't without its challenges It was definitely It was definitely a learning experience I was so
0: gagged to see you on that project Like, it's just (laughs) such a massive collaboration And I can see your energies Kind of coming together I mean, what a sign of like future um, success and coming together, that must have been a real kind of boost. But as you say, it wasn't without its challenges.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was, um, I worked with my partner on the, on the shoot, which was amazing. She's incredible. Um, And I mean, when I was approached for it, they were looking for an ogre and heavy prosthetics and it's like, well, hello, (laughs) (laughs) you called.
0: (laughs) Who else? So you're talking about this amazing performance that you're going to put on with the with a crucifix in Sub Club and bringing in elements of like sculpture and working with an architect. How much does your work cross over into different realms?
1: Even in the process of, of making sculpture as a part of it because I sculpt the prosthetics. Um, I, I sculpt everything with clay and then latex and some of the garments are also sculpted because... Um, I mean, yeah, I'm a character of monstrosity and monstrosity is full of sculptural complexities. The set that was made for for that performance will still be used in, in another performance that I'm currently working on, on that set and also to create like a digital environment and landscape. So I'm constantly in collaboration with different kind of artists who specialise in their fields. There's definitely a process of building layers, both theoretically and uh, with fashion. When I
0: consider Shrek, I consider a universe that just surrounds you it's not picking a costume like many drag artists would do it's almost just dressing because you've created something that's so believable and so complete the garments that you wear seem to me like fashion choices rather than costume choices is that something that you consider when you're selecting the artifacts and garments that that go with you on stage.
1: Absolutely, like I'm, I'm really all about trying to like create and present like new forms of queer worlds and to kind of give give uh, an insight into creating something completely new that um as 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 removed from like the everyday to to create like a window into something that is something else. Um, you know, when I worked in the vintage shop for like five years, it gave me a good place to kind of pick up on different pieces that I could customize and use and, and bring in. Yeah, I mean, I'm always like, is this a costume? Is it a garment? Uh, like, sometimes, uh, for a long time, I was I would buy things that I would wear as Shrek and I would wear as and I would just I would just cross over so... Um...
0: There is such an element of idiosyncrasy. This universe you've created, you're able to actually wear garments in and out of the character Shrek. It really shows how, how deeply you've dug when you create this universe that you're sharing as entertainment which is such a brave thing to do really
1: yeah i mean like performing on trek for so many years has definitely been a very useful tool to my personal life and um yeah everything that comes with that so yeah there's the crossover is um is definitely there absolutely
0: i've spent a lot of my life around drag queens my uncle is a drag queen and mm-hmm, i've I and i started doing drag when i was about 14 so um I've always had a drag wardrobe that's kind of dwarfed my boy wardrobe. Um, And the idea of future facing performance art where you wear the clothes while you're performing and while you're yourself, I think that's a really interesting idea. And it breaks down the idea of costume as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean material is really important to me, like materials for the character is really important, like a lot of like latex and leather but sometimes fur, things like leather and fur are not things I would ever buy new, so having like recycled um, materials like that readily available to me was great, that I could give them some love and um, use them again, you know.
0: If someone came to you at a big company and was like, we want a Shrek 66 line, what are you bringing out?
1: Okay, um, chaps, number one. <laughs> yeah. chaps, um, harnesses, sex toys, nice. underwear, latex underwear, like specific underwear for trans people. Yeah. And yeah, specific prosthetics for um trans bodies and facial prosthetics. I don't know, I could go on. Yeah,
0: <laughs> al- I've clearly already thought about this. And makeup, I can see you doing makeup and prosthetics line as well
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would love to, I would love to I think the number one thing I would do would would make uh, If if a company approached me and was like Do you want to make sex toys? I'd be like, hell yeah
0: (laughs) Well, this is what I was thinking Sex toys are fashion artefacts Like the way that they look Like the shine The kind of strangeness to them And then the relationship with sex and ecstasy Like how is that not
1: fashion? Exactly And how how great would a line of sex toys That are like mon- monstrous. <laughs> yeah. like Both bo- human sex toys, or oh, got yeah. yeah.
0: I think you'd need a Shrek 66 training <laughs> kit that go more and more monstrous as you go along. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me for my first show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Also, um, if you get chance, please look at Shrek 666's fundraiser. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we go?
1: Yeah, so it's a fundraiser um for gender the assignment surgery um that I launched a couple of weeks ago. I never really anticipated doing a fundraiser, and it was qu- it was quite a scary thing to do, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I, the response so far has been really incredible. Um, but it's a high a high target, so any any support is uh, yeah so greatly appreciated.
0: We'll make sure that we link that on the Instagram as well. But yeah, it's so amazing when the community get behind something. I hope. I hope you have an explosive response and get your target. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Oh, Shrek666, one thing before you go. Would you be able to do a little fashion forecast for us? We'd love Love to. to. So, this is based on maybe real fashion forecasting, maybe some that I've just thrown in there, but I want to get your hot take.
1: Shreks fashion
0: forecast. (laughs) Fangs or tooth crystals?
1: Can I have both?
0: <laughs> okay, both. Yellow highlighter or black lippy?
1: Yellow highlighter.
0: Pastel beanies or top hats?
1: Oh, God, not neither.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Orange crocs or square toe cowboy boots?
1: Oh, my God, that's actually really hard. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a croc fan, but I'm going to have to go with square toe cowboy boots.
0: Okay. Knee highs or socks and sandals? Knee highs. Trench coats or kimonos? Head to toe Gucci or a Burberry Balaclava? (laughs) Um,
1: Head to toe Gucci.
0: Flares or mankini? Mankini. Rubber choker or nape piercings?
1: Rubber chokers.
0: Bugs Bunny tattoos or green tinted fake tan? Both. (laughs) (laughs) And metal hats or paper rings?
1: Um, Metal hats, metal hats
0: Right, so according to Shrek This is what we should be keeping an eye out for this season (laughs) Fangs, tooth crystals, yellow highlighters square toe cowboy boots Knee highs, trench coats, head to toe Gucci Flares, mankini, Bugs Bunny tattoos Green tinted fake tan And of course metal hats Thank you so much for that (laughs) Thank
1: you, it sounds sounds hot (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's been a pleasure having you And hopefully speak to you again
1: soon Yes, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.
0: Shrek there showing us that deep down, we all love crocs and tooth crystals. Next up, we're joined by a sculptor who's worked extensively in the north of England. She's so refreshingly honest about what it's like to live the life of a sculptor. She's incredibly accomplished, ridiculously unpretentious, and as of this interview, the first person in accessories history to talk to me about can't do it again. Accessories. It's Emmy L. Rye.
4: Thank you for having me, Minty.
0: How would you describe your practice?
4: Um, My practice is mainly sculpture and installation. It kind of talks or tries to investigate the ways in which Western museums display objects that are not from the West, uh, particularly looking at objects from the Middle East. So that's sort of one strand of the, the research and work that I make. And then the other strand is also like, looking at um, how those objects kind of talk about identity in terms of like hybridity, um, in terms of um, kind of navigating a diaspora um, through my own personal experience of growing up in Scotland, but being born into an Iraqi family.
0: So I'm going to ask you a little bit about this year that we've just had. And if you could cast your mind back to 2019 before everything kind of changed, how did you make your work happen
4: oh my god it was was horrendous like I feel like there was a point where I just had to stop like and just disassociate myself from the diary and that it was really hard because I'd keep looking at it like every day like hoping something would you know be able to be scheduled but I also think because I'm I'm very much a Virgo so I also think that that sensibility like was really challenged in 2020
0: I didn't know that about you that you were really like diary and schedule Oh yeah I love it I
4: love I love a good schedule I love (laughs) a good diary
0: right so that's before Mm -hmm. like how have you kept going because here you are a sculptor still alive still making stuff happen in 2021 how have you made that happen
4: Um, it's been weird, you know, so I feel normally uh, I make quite large scale work and that's normally kind of made either like on site at museums or galleries or in the studio. And, you know, when I went to, you know, the first confinement happened, I I was actually spent with my um, mum up in Scotland and, you know, not having access to a studio and like not really having anything to make anything for as well was, was really crazy. So I was just like, well, I just... Guess I'll just do some drawings instead, and then you know, like I feel it was quite nice in, in some ways to be forced to just leave sculpture to to aside and try to think about ways in which like drawings could be sculptures, or thinking about like other ways in which I could kind of like rid the urge of like wanting to make something like onto paper.
0: Well, you touched a little bit there on making large scale work. Like, I want to ask you about the reality of making. Larger sculpture, and when you're in this position emerging into your career and you're making larger work to sell and exhibit, but then you've got a tiny little room and you've got limited studio space like, oh what, God. how do you make that happen at this stage?
4: I don't know. I mean, I feel like making big sculpture is minging, like, it's <laughs> <something>. <laughs> like there's just no way. Um, you know, it's it's dirty. It's really messy. Um, you need like space where you can kind of, you know, have a window access, especially with the materials that I use, which are like plaster and sand and um, like bitumen and kind of needing a space. Um, yeah, I guess um for me, it's it's really been either doing things in stages, so like kind of again me with the plans, like having a a good like planning program of being like, right, this is the days where I do the messy things, and then I can like put them away or like try to get them like. Uh, like I put them in the boot of my car for ages or something like that. Um,
0: that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Well, that's, that's where the sculpture ends, in the boot of your car.
4: so much shit in the boot of my car, honestly. Like It's it's like a it's just storage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we've, we've kind of moaned a bit already about how the year's been, but right now it's lovely to speak to you in a lovely-looking studio in Marseille. What are you doing right now?
4: I'm on a residency with an organisation called Triangle Asteride, and they um, basically have um, residencies that are three and a half months long. You get uh, an amazing studio space and like support from that team, and you kind of yeah, it's just it's really like a research res- residency. And I've just kind of been going to the library and working with the museum in Marseille at the moment, and like taking photographs of some of their collections, and yeah, kind of just having a bit of time to play because I think the last couple of years for me were really like. Intense it was like you know it was non-stop production and just kind of driving myself down to the, the bone really just by trying to balance everything that was going on. It's been really like amazing to just be here and to have a moment to just think yeah. or to think about to recontextualize like what it is that I'm investigating or what my research is or what I'm actually interested in because yeah like last last couple of years like I just have not had the capacity or the time. Do that. Also, like, do you know what I mean? I feel like the French just do cakes so well. The cakes are wild.
0: And French McDonald's as well is just a different world.
4: I had a French McDonald's. I had one at the weekend.
0: Oh my god, how was it?
4: It was delicious. Although,
0: okay, that's, there's a but.
4: There's a but. I feel like the sauce, the sauces that you get with your chips. I feel like there's a, it was called like sauce pom or something like that, and it was disgusting.
0: Oh God, I didn't try that. I literally went and had the most, the closest to what they have at Leeds McDonald's when I went. Li <laughs> Big Mac or um, Lee Chicken had Nuggets.
4: The Yum.
0: So you've been able to leave the kind of COVID bubble in the UK. There's not many artists that have had like that opportunity. you have obviously doing something right.
4: have been very lucky.
0: But obviously you've worked so hard as well and you're like in the stage of your career where you're about to like, go international. You're making... Decisions about going full time?
4: Yeah, I know. It's kind of scary. I think I've always been very cautious about this jumping into like arts because it's such an unstable kind of landscape. It's, there's not really like a path or like a kind of ladder like there is in other kind of careers. It's really strange because not coming from an arts background, like not really knowing how you can support yourself or like how you know you can be secure and be able to pay your rent and be able to but, you know, do like have a studio, and and then also like have the time to research without having a job. And I feel like for me, like I've been really lucky. Like the jobs that I've worked have been in museums and been kind of back of house, like in um, like registrar positions and stuff, which has been incredible. But there is a point where it's like. It's, it just gets too much. Like it's it's exhausting to the point of just not being able to to like make anything good. So either like you're not performing well at work or you're not performing like as well as you like to be in the studio or like having the time to actually like mull over things. And I think there's just this kind of biting point that comes and I feel like that's something I'm experiencing at the moment where I'm just like it's amazing like to have these opportunities and to like have work that's kind of coming through art wise, but then this this big fear of like you know, leaving a job and being like, shit, like, I'm going to go full time with this. And do you know what I mean? Like, what if it doesn't work? Or like, Mm. what, you know, like, how am I going to pay my rent? It's the
0: harsh reality that they don't teach at uni or art college that if you don't come from money to start with, it's going to be next to impossible to actually make that leap and not have an incredibly low quality of life while doing that leap. (laughs)
4: Totally, but I think also just like it's the belief in the leap as well that I feel like it's it's really frightening, and I think for me it's like always trying to like, you know, make sure that like like there's enough granary like in in the nest or like in in you know what I mean like you know, you know what I mean sometimes like you know what I mean what 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 happens I, I don't want to like not be able to support myself and. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's also just, like, a tough environment at the moment. But then at the same time, it's like, if I don't do this jump now, like, when am I ever going to do it? And I don't want to, you know... I also just, like, don't want to, like, get, like kill myself, like, from overworking, you know? Like, it's also just, like, you can't expect um to, to be able to, like, juggle all of those things, you know? Like, it's, it's too much. And, you know, at the same time, we've got to look after ourselves. So I'm also, like, I'd rather mm-hmm. just be much more skin and like uh, maybe like not live in my like wee flat anymore. And, <laughs> you know, all, all these things, um, but be able to actually like do the work that I want to do and do it better because I have the time to put into it.
0: As well as these realities, there's another thing that you don't ever get taught and that's how to value your own... They almost kind of uh, train you in a way that doesn't prepare you for success. It just kind of prepares you for being an artist for a couple of years and then settling into something else. So when you actually make the leap, there's some massive blind spot where you could have really valued some more education.
4: Definitely. For me, like, the thing that has been, like, totally invaluable has been having conversations with other artists and also with, like, the institutions that I've been really lucky to work with and, like, trying to just, you know, actually ask those questions because it's something that I don't know about I don't know how like you know dealers work I don't know how art fairs work like I, you know and it's something that you I guess learn through going to them and through speaking to people about them but it's always really scary to admit that you, you don't know how it works me and other artists and leads like we don't know how to mediate those kind of relationships maybe I don't know like maybe I'm i just speaking for myself here but it's always yeah. hard to d- then kind of be like well okay like so, so how do you how do you talk to collectors? Like how you know, or, or if a collector gets in contact with you. Like, what's the etiquette? I have no idea what the etiquette is. Like, am I saying the wrong thing? Like, I don't know. So yeah, I, I think it's there's like it's been really like amazing to have um, you know artists and and people institutions who are, who are really open to having those conversations and like really like helping you
0: keeping the door open for the next lot of people that haven't been shown totally. how to do it.
4: For sure, for sure. I think that's something that's really important. Is like you know not to just like you know get these opportunities and then like hold on to them like until you know they're like bloodless and lifeless. Actually, like it's about working to like get to a point where you know if you have these opportunities, you can share how you got there or like you know what the reality is. You know, there's so many artist talks. I remember going to at uni and you know nobody talked, no nobody spoke about how they were living, like how they were being able to like. how much their budgets were or like you know all this like like logistical administrative stuff that like I think actually like helps you take that kind of jumper to 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 be like oh okay so maybe it is a a valid like career choice that I could do and something that is like like accessible maybe but because you know there's this whole like patina of like romance about like being an artist and blah, blah and I'm like yeah but also I need to lads like you know and um I think, I think it's just sharing. Like, If I've found yeah. talks that I've spoken about that have been the mm-hmm. most influential for me and artists who are really open with that kind of, um, yeah, I guess the kind of more logistical stuff and how you talk to people or how you get opportunities or, you know, I think it's, you know, that kind of generosity is, it goes a, a really big way. And I think like keeping that door open, it's like, you know, there should be opportunities for everybody really.
0: Yeah, it's the only way to really change the industry by being that voice that, helped other people through because it becomes stagnant and then impenetrable for people that are coming up through the system that have got really valuable work to share as well but talking about the image of an artistic life I always I always thought you were really well dressed and then the last time I said this to you you were like no not me
4: (laughs) yeah I feel like I I I feel like I don't know. I feel like I don't really think I'm that well-dressed.
0: <laughs> well, what have you realised about your st- personal style over the last year?
4: I feel like I really like beige. I like <laughs> colours. I really like colours that are oaty. Um, oaty?
0: You said something earlier that made me laugh. You put on a thicker Scottish accent and said something about, is there enough wheat in the something? <laughs>
4: Like, was it like the granary or something? Oh yeah,
0: sorry, yeah, the granary. I've not heard that term, but yeah, that could be granary chic that you're serving us today.
4: Granary chic. <laughs> I love that so much.
0: It sounds quite.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like all about the granary chic life. Maybe without chic, or just maybe the granary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As a sculptor, do you have a special relationship with fashion artifacts? I'm talking like accessories like rings and (laughs) necklaces i'm not just shoehorning it in here i mean i've noticed your rings and jewelry over the
4: years (laughs) um i know funnily to say i don't have my rings on but normally i feel like i always have rings on um because i'm obsessed with the way that they feel there's something that I really love about, like, um, the kind of mythology of stones specifically. So, like, I'm really obsessed with Carnelian and, I, you know, I've been gifted some Carnelian by my family. And, like, then I've sort of collected some, like, really over a really long time. And um, I really love, like, it's, it's, like, associations with people in the ancient Middle East, also, like, in, in Rome and in Greece, like, would wear Carnelian, like, before going into, like, battle And like, it would be like this, this, this material that would like transubstinate and like give you like a skin of a warrior or like give you the skin of like, you know, being able to like go into something as like this new person. So I think when, when I wear like my rings, I feel that they almost give me like this other skin. I feel like I can almost perform something else, like, or be, not be somebody else, but like feel a bit stronger with them. It reminds me
0: a little bit of how people feel when they buy into something like Supreme, they might go out and buy a Supreme brick or a Supreme, some other artifact that's branded because yeah. it gives them that sort of. <laughs> I feel awful comparing this. Yeah, I love it. Well, making you feel like a warrior by wearing these stones and feeling like some sort of baller with a Supreme brick—that one and the same.
4: It is. It is like objects are like they, they do make you feel something. They make you like become somebody else. They let you live a life and I think, you know, with like objects like Supreme or whether it's like, you know, collect collectibles or like jewellery that you can like like add things onto, like like link bracelets or, or link are that what they call? Like the charm bracelets.
0: Pandora maybe.
4: Pandora, yes.
0: I just thought the uh, Supreme Brick was so interesting because it's like a piece of building yourself and your identity and it doesn't serve any purpose. It's like pure objet d'art, you know, creating the illusion that you believe yourself and that's almost Mm. like a second skin in itself. Totally. As a sculptor, how do you feel about things like Louis Vuitton making pool tables and like the crossover into creating fashion artefact?
4: I feel like I don't know too much about it but I feel like I'm into it in many ways like you, they're never like together even though I actually think there are so many like themes and motifs and like maybe the ways of research and the way that like production is made in fashion that also happens within art so it's like they're so close to each other and I think it's really nice when there is that kind of crossover because it's like fashion objects are beautiful like do you know what I mean like fashion is gorgeous and like drawings get um turned into like clothing I, I, I don't know whether that's kind of like within the same kind of strand but like yeah like I, I, th- I think it's really cool like I'm like yes I feel like there should be more of that like these it, kind of collaborations because you know there'll be so much stuff that you know people working in fashion will know about like specific materials and there'll be like really interesting conversations to be had
0: we should get you on the waiting list for the next lot of supreme bricks
4: oh my god yes please <laughs> <laughs> How much are the Supreme Bricks? Are they not like a hundred
0: I don't know. It's quite an outdated reference, actually. But um, I know that there's stuff like that happening all the time. Like there's Prada casts for broken wrists and there's all sorts of stuff.
4: See, I feel like I don't really know that much about it. So I'm always like, oh, like, what is the fashion artefact?
0: I'll tag you, hon.
4: Yeah. Oh, my God, please do. Please do. So, do you know what I mean? I'm like a hermit in my granary chic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> granary chic. It's a, literally, it's a new thing. Well, do you know what? Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear about your practice yeah, and, and the relationship between sculpture and fashion object. Like, it's it's really interesting to have these two worlds collide because they do collide so often. And to hear how you use them in part of dressing yourself and how you see them is really, really fascinating to me. So thank you.
4: Thank you
0: for having me. It's been really nice. See you
4: soon, Emmy. Bye.
0: It was fabulous to have a chance to talk to Emmy and just see where our interests kind of crossed over. I've always had a really strong love for the fashion artefact and the presence of objects in fashion. So, like bags and eyewear and fashion objets d'art. It was fantastic to hear her talk about how she personally builds herself with her understanding of objects and how they make humans feel and how she accessorises with rings that make her feel powerful and is able to construct herself through connection with the stones. Each of our guests have had such a special relationship with fashion and I feel like I've learned so much just from being in conversation with them. I want to thank Adam, Joe, Shrek and Emmy from the bottom of my heart for being here in our first episode and making it so challenging and interesting and really blowing open the definition of accessories When I chose the name accessories for this podcast I was so how vacuous it would seem. But there's so much to unravel when it comes to how we construct and complete the self with objects. In future shows, we'll take a more focused look at fashion. But for now, thank you so much for joining us for the first episode. In the interest of keeping the doors open, please give my friend's podcast, The Gossip Gaze, a try. It's a queer-run podcast that looks at LGBTQ+, issues, TV, and all sorts of funny stuff. So I always unwind listening to that podcast. You should give it a try. I want to give a massive thank you to
1: FullyBeat.com.
4: Bye queers for queens
0: for their help producing this episode and for their audio design and thank you to oscars.online for their art for the first episode lastly thank you so much to everyone that has listened if you are able to please consider supporting us on patreon with your support we can help develop the show into something really special with all that being said there's just time now to hand over to a local business owner from leeds keely with the last word in fashion
4: they all just seem to be wearing bum bags, really. There's bum bags everywhere. They've got bum bags on their arms, bum bags on their hip, bum bag over the chest. You know, I know Louis Vuitton do a bum bag on a bum bag, but I do have my very own Louis Chivon version. The V is an S, but if you can look past that, you're absolutely flying. I've been selling stuff on vintage over lockdown £2, £1, £3 a pop They were flying out like hotcakes they were What I realised is very, very quickly because I didn't have printing services I had to walk five miles to the library then five miles back to my house then five miles back to the posting shop So what I realised is £2 is not worth the effort plus my postage is £2.50 anyway